Welcome to the Player Development Project podcast. My name is Dave Wright, co-founder and editor of Player Development Project. PDP is a website for coaches who are committed to learning, and we provide a huge library of resources which consists of cutting-edge insights from the world's most innovative player developers, coach educators, and researchers. If you want to learn from the best and join a community of like-minded coaches, then check out playerdevelopmentproject.com. On this week's Player Development Project podcast, we answer a question from our community and try to offer up advice on practical problems faced by coaches around the world. Hi everyone, welcome to another Player Development Project Q&A. Pleased to be joined once again by PDP Technical Advisor Dan Wright. Dan, how are you this week, mate? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. Looking forward to another good question from the PDP community. And this week it comes from Spence via Twitter. And Spence has said, what are your thoughts on the potential negative effects of players playing at a substandard level? For example, I have a very good midfield and making great forward passes, but other players aren't making the correct runs or anticipating the pass. So essentially, he's got a player that he thinks is probably top of the group and potentially well ahead of the other players. So what do you see as some of the issues here, Dan? Yeah, I was just about to, about to sort of clarify the question. So we've got a player that we think is, is the best one in the group at the moment. Um, is how I've sort of interpreted that. So I think probably the first thing we've got to talk about is why that player is perceived to be the best right now. Um, and perhaps, you know, thinking about the age and stage, will he be the best player at, at 18, 19, 20? And perhaps is he the best player because of you know, his maturation and the physical size rather than just maybe technically being the best player. Do you think that's a good place to start? Yeah, I think so. It's important to understand that obviously we don't have the context of seeing the player and the environment, but at the same time, you can make a few assumptions that if he's flying right now, perhaps he's just going through a really good phase and there's no reason to, you know, without sounding negative, to assume that there won't be a dip as well. Players do have a real up and down time of it, particularly, um, you know, around that sort of teenage period and, and those sort of times where their bodies are changing as well. So it's really important to understand that whilst he is on top now that may change I think it's also important to understand what kind of level um, he's playing at and, and the players around him I mean if he's been playing perhaps at a higher level before and come back down into the environment Spencer's in now that might be difficult for him psychologically or socially um, and he might also be having some frustration if players aren't seeing what he's seeing but I think within that there's also an opportunity and I think there's an opportunity to coach those players around and that's not to say you know we focus just on the one player but you've got to stretch that player at the top of the group you know, you've got to make sure that he's being pushed all the time. So if it's 1v1s for some players, is it 1v2s for this player? Or is it that he has to play a killer pass through two lines instead of one line? Or, or how do you adapt the practice to make sure he's really being stretched? So it's a real individual approach that needs to be taken here. Yeah, I think one of the, the theories around sort of youth development is that you should spend a third of your time being the best player in the group, a third of your time being, you know, amongst the middle sort of a section of the group and then a third of the time sort of struggling. So how we achieve that, I suppose, is, is the next part of the conversation. So like you said, it could be around practice design, making sure that he's always overloaded or you may be challenging him individually with, with, you know, how many touches he can take or how many assists he's got to make in that sort of time compared to his peers. And then perhaps, you know, talking about a variety of experiences, which we've had, you know, experts come on and talk about, you know, guys playing for, for different academies or different representative sides or districts or, you know, through the school. And I think then that player will experience, you know, those thirds of being, you know, perhaps in my club, I'm top dog. But then when I play for the county, I'm just sort of middle of the road. And, and that and that's quite a, an important thing. I and mean, when you look at a lot of players' journeys, they've had those experiences of playing in different environments. Definitely. And I think, you know, this is where also we can look at playing them up age groups. But 
when we do that, we've got to take a few factors into account. So traditionally, obviously, we work off the four corner model, but you know, obviously, there's, it's a lot more complex than that. So if this player is getting success because he's you know physically early developed, um, maybe we need to look at you know just putting him up an age group to give him the physical challenge. But you need to be aware that socially, maybe he's not ready for that. So it's a balancing act of finding out a bit more about the player and really understanding everything that's going on around that player. Uh, to ensure that we can give them the best possible experience. And maybe it's a, a case of dipping them in with another team for a couple of weeks, just training up, um, or giving them a couple of games to throw them in the deep end and see how he goes and then put him back down. Um, or if he's really competent and physically there and socially there, maybe you can put him up for a period in, in a different group a year or two above and really try something uh, that's going to stretch him and put him outside of his comfort zone. Yeah, I think the moving up and down age groups is is you know really complex um, situation it's something that you and I have experienced and mm. it really is individual as well there's there's kids that look like they'll be able to cope with it maybe physically but then when you put them in you know that they've lost their, their probably their relationships with their peers and they've lost their standing socially yeah. and that that can affect players a lot in terms of their learning and and how active they want to be in and how engaged they want to be with the sessions and then other kids you drop them in and it's you know it's completely no different that they're, they're still one of the best players in the group is still bossing people around and, and you know being sort of a, a main leader within that yeah and I think it's it's important to, to sort of have a mechanism of how you how you um, record that and how you observe that because if you expect every player to be the same then you know you, you're going to get it wrong and I, I think it's important that you said maybe we do that in training first so you might drop them in for half of their training the week so if you're lucky you'll have to train twice or three times a week mm. put them in for one session or two sessions a week but he has that one session with his mates so that he's still Coming back to that sort of third, third, third approach, yeah. <clears throat> he's going to come back and, and still have that time where he is the best player in the group, rather than just chucking him in on a Sunday because you know the age group up above wants a player. I think that tends to go wrong. So he's got to be sort of phased in and phased out. And then I'm also not a massive fan of playing players up all the time. You know, no. so if they so if they are are the best player. I still think they should come down for a bit and play in their age group and you know then score four or five goals because. That that has that has an impact. You know, they do perhaps need to feel about being the best player. Yeah. There was um there was a really good story by Michael Owen. It was obviously you know a lead performer throughout his age groups, and he said that the best football or the, the football that he enjoyed the most was playing for his school because he said he got loads of repetition of scoring goals and he had loads of different um, chances to score goals. So he'd come off the field scoring seven, eight, nine goals, but he'd got repetition of what he enjoyed doing, which is running in behind and scoring goals. And he was saying. You know, maybe at Liverpool or maybe when he played for, for England schools, it was more difficult. There was less opportunity to do it. So it goes back to that repetition and relevance and realism, doesn't it? So, yeah. you, know, you know, if the player's getting lots of repetition of what they're good at and they're enjoying it, that's great. But then in, for another period of time, they might need to be stressed out and play against against de better defenders or better opposition. Indeed. Um, I, sorry, mate, what were you going to say next? I was just going to say, we, we were sort of speaking uh, earlier on this topic around the idea of affirming this, this sort of almost success that this player is getting as well. So if you've got a creative midfielder, you can go back to an article on the website by uh, Professor Stephen Rolnick around praise versus affirmation. So if you can see he's seeing good passes and you can see that he's you know really looking to open the game up with good vision, um, make sure that you're affirming that behavior, even if he's not getting success due to you know perhaps his teammates not quite having the same level of understanding as him. So it's really important that even if there's some frustration there for you as a coach and for the player not having that success, that's a really good article to check out um, just in regard to that concept of praise versus affirmation and making
making sure that even though it doesn't always look pretty, he's still trying to do the right thing. Um, I'd also like to touch on a couple of articles that Steve Lawrence wrote for the um, PDP magazine uh, in issue 10 and issue 11, both around the idea of relative age effect and biobanding. So there's a lot more detail in there around those two topics. And obviously we don't know the, the age of this player relative to his team, um, but those articles would be good ones for Spence to read. Yeah, do you want to just quickly explain what you mean by relative age effect? I know, you know, it's it's quite a common term across sort of youth development, but there might be people that don't know what it means. So do you want to just quickly explain that to people? Yeah, essentially, if the year's broken down into quarters is an easy way to look at it. You might have kids born in Q1, Q2, Q3, and Q4. And of course, in the English school year, that would be September 1 to August 31. So those players that are born in the first three months of the year are going to have a physical advantage, or the first six months of the year are going to have a physical advantage over those players that are born in the second half of the year or those remaining quarters of the year. And of course, when you're seven, eight, nine, you know, 12, 13, 14, these sort of ages where your body's changing and everybody's at a different stage, it has a dramatic effect on the way players can perform and they can be perceived to perform by coaches and scouts. So it's important to understand dates of birth and how they sit in the group um, and just understand, uh, I guess, where that places them. Of course, in academies, you can look at things like, you know, you get a little bit more support with sports science and projected heights and, and so on and growth rates. Um, so that kind of information can really help you. If you don't have that, the date of birth is a good place to start. Mm, and then it's about understanding the player in front of you, whether it's, like I said, chronological age or physical age or maybe, you know, psychological, social age. And so a player could have maybe three or four different ages if that makes sense of, of different abilities as, he, as he's going through mm. um, <clears throat> I think another thing that you could think about it, again it would be down to the individual is about maybe stressing this player out and playing him in different positions yeah. so if you've got this fantastic um, centre midfielder it wouldn't hurt for him to play part of the part of the game or part of the season at centre back for example it might it might give him more chance to, to practice slightly different things or you know improve his defending or improve his defending as part of a unit um <clears throat> there, there, there's always arguments for and against that because you know if we have um a fantastic player that's you know good at dribbling and taking people on right footed some people would say let's put them onto the left so they get to practice you know from the other side mm. And then it's about are they if they're going to be you know if that's going to be their super strength and that's what's going to be making them elite. Do you do you do that and, and they spend fifty percent of the time you know, getting better rather than fifty percent of the time focusing on their strength? Where, where do you stand on that one? Yeah, look, I think that I think again individual approach, but I would very much advocate for playing players who have an out and out ability. For example, playing up front and finishing to stay there and do what they're best at. I, I think there is a place for varied positions when you've got players who perhaps got that broader skill set. But if you've got somebody that's got a real scent for goal or an ability to put the ball away or that real creative ability in midfield, I'd give them time in their preferred position and then probably try and balance that by exposing them to other areas of the pitch. But if they've got real strengths, I think there is a place for, um, for getting them in there in, in, a, in a certain position. Again, and that, that comes at a different age as well. I would sort of say 11s, 12s, 13s onwards. You can't sort of paint a broad um, brush across that argument. But at the same time, I think it's important to understand your player's strengths. If this player's really just coasting in that area of the pitch, perhaps needs to play up front, receive with back to goal, play out wide, do a little bit more dribbling and driving and those kind of things to add to the attributes he already has. So again, goes back to the individual, um, but you know, it, it certainly has its place. Yeah, something worth sort of bearing in mind, I guess. Indeed, indeed. Well, look, hopefully there's some great ideas for Spence there. A difficult question and a bit of a challenge on his hands. Hopefully the idea of mixed experiences is the key message from this one. And we will look forward to another PDP Q&A very soon. Thanks for joining us on the Player Development Project podcast. 
You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PlayerDP or find us on Facebook. Don't forget to head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com where you can sign up to our progressive coaching community and gain access to our wide variety of resources to help you in your coaching.